the first thing is that there's a Ukrainian theme to the snacks. It's honey, Ukrainian honey babka. Is this too loud? It is, isn't it? it th that's not too loud for you people? Okay, how's that? Does it, does it still sound like very, a little tinny? That's actually my natural sound, to be honest. So Ukrainian honey vodka and Ukrainian goose feet. So I worked really hard this morning making these. So, um, and the other issue is uh, last week I forgot to hit the record button. Uh, so, if you missed it, it is on Facebook, but somebody said I couldn't, it wasn't available on the podcast, and I said, well, this idiot priest forgot to hit the record button, she says, you forgot to hit the report, I said, I didn't say me, I said an idiot priest, why do you accuse me of it? Oh, it's on Facebook, it's just not on the podcast section. Yeah, if you watch on, it's on YouTube, it's just not on the podcast section. It's on Facebook and YouTube, but um, because I forgot to hit record. Did you hit the record button? I'm 90% sure. I think so. All right, so why don't we begin in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. So I'm um, going to continue with uh, proofs for God. And so the, this section I call, I tried to group them in, this section is called Human uh, Arguments for God, and that's what I call it. But the first human one is actually morality. Morality, I think, is evidence of God. So a couple years ago when I was at um, another parish, um, I was listening to high schoolers' uh, confessions, which, anyhow, I don't <laughs> really like high schoolers, but... Um, Anyhow, this one high school kid comes up, and I can see on his face that he has something planned. So he comes up, and um, I say, you know, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he says, well, I don't believe in morality. So, yeah, and we're sitting this far apart, so I can see him. And I said, really? So if I put fish hooks in your eyeballs and pull them out slowly, and you could see the shock in his face, and... And I said, well, listen, you're disgusted at that thought. You, I could see it on your face. You're disgusted. So apparently you do believe in morality, or if you didn't really believe in morality, you wouldn't have been shocked that I, I would do that to you. And he says, well, I believe in social contracts. And I said, really? I said, so if I did that, um, if you don't believe in morality and I did that, and I knew his parents who were quite wealthy, and I said, you wouldn't, if I beat you up right now, if I punch you in the face, you wouldn't go complain to your parents, would you? Because 
you know, you don't believe in morality. There's nothing to complain about. Um, and he says, well, I just believe everybody should make it on their own. And I said, that wouldn't be you, would it? Because, and that, these are, by the way, in case you didn't know, atheist arguments. Make it on your own? You're a teenager. You know, <laughs> from ver a very wealthy family in the wealthiest country in the world that you've inherited all that. All that has been put on your plate. You didn't earn any of it. Um, so he said, well, I just, I, I believe, uh, and I said, no, you, you do believe in morality or you wouldn't have been shocked. You do believe in morality or you wouldn't give him this BS that, well, I just believe everybody is just, um, takes care of themselves. And so we started to talk and guess what? Um, the more he talked, he does believe in morality. He was just trying to be provocative. Does that mean? <laughs> but believe it or not, no. Atheists will tell these teenagers and college students that there is no such thing as morality. Um, but if morality doesn't exist, then why are they shocked about the cruelty in the world? Or if they say, well, morality is just a social contract, you know, that we all just agree to behave like this, then we're all just a bunch of well-behaved social sociopaths. Um, you know, and I use this on the kid, I said, you know, if you don't believe in mor morality, why is it morally repugnant to rape a two-year-old? Do, do you not rape a two-year-old simply because, well, it goes against a social contract? Or do you not rape a two-year-old because it's disgusting? You just, in your gut, you can't think of anything more disgusting. So, believe it or not, having an intrinsic and internal moral code is a proof that atheism is wrong. I mean, they've done scientific studies. It's kind of amazing. Even toddlers know cheating is wrong. Why are there cops and prosecutors who can't sleep at night? It's not because somebody broke the social contract. It's because implanted in us is this objective, basic morality. There's a moral law in us. And studies prove, as I said, that we're actually born with a moral compass, and we have to work to kill it. So if there's a law that's written in us of what is moral, then there is a lawgiver. God is a lawgiver who's behind the source of all morality. Now, granted, granted, I'm going to give, there is such a thing as more, a moral uh, social contract. There is morality like that. Like, you drive down the street at 35 miles an hour. That's a social contract. So, and some morality is subjective. Subjective means it depends, right? Um, it doesn't mean all morality is subjective. Some morality is uh, subjective because, like, if you're having a heart attack and you're in my car, I'm not going to drive 35 miles an hour uh, to the hospital. I'm going to get you there as quick as possible. I'll go up to 40. Um, <laughs> you know, but... <laughs> But our society and, no offense, atheists, <clears throat> overemphasize that all morality is subjective. Um, so um, subjective morality is if, yeah, if you're not comfortable doing something, it's moral for you not to do it. But I have different feelings. Like, our society kind of works like that. And you see it most in like um, the 80s TV programs, which... Most of you didn't grow up in, but um, in the 80 TV programs, when they covered uh, premarital sex, 
I don't know if you noticed this, every parent said the same thing to their kid. It was that like, well, you'll know when it's right for you. <laughs> My God. What teenager doesn't think it's right for them? <laughs> um, yeah, that's terrible advice. And here's the thing. The sooner your kids have sexual promiscuity as a teenager, the higher the rate of infidelity later on in life, the higher rates of depression. That actually, like if you study it, actually it's the philosophy that you'll know when it's right for you is really bad for them when they become adults. It has uh, ramifications. So some morality is subjective. Some morality is a social contract. But some morality, and this is going to be my main point, is objective. It is objectively wrong to rape, to be cruel, to murder. Um, and like our immunity system, uh, some morality, half of it's simply written into us. It's what we inherit. Other, it needs to be developed. But it's been a long philosophical position that morality is inherited. Even Kant, who was Kant was this German brilliant um, scientist. Like he was so brilliant, he lived kind of the his whole life in this little village in Germany. Um, but once he was looking at the waves of the ocean, and he realized based on the waves of the ocean that the Earth's orbit was miscalculated. So he re like that's a genius. I. I don't know how many times that happens to you, but it has never happened to me. But he writes this whole treatise on morality, the critique of practical reason, and he famously said, and I like this, two things, now he's, he's a genius, two things fills his mind with ever new and increasing admiration and reverence, the starry heavens above me and the moral law within me. So even Kant admit, admitted that, uh, he was a genius, but he admitted that, yeah, the same way there's natural laws that govern the orbits of the planet, he said, there's no way you cannot say that there's not a moral law implanted in you. So C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis was this famous, uh, the head atheist for England, who then has a conversion, and later C.S. Lewis develops this Kantian insight and forms this moral argument for God based on the moral law written in this. So Lewis, according to the moral argument, says that there is a universal human moral conscience that's beyond one emotional state. It's just visceral. You feel it in your gut. And science seems to confirm we're born with an innate moral code. And everybody experiences this moral internal sense of uh, obligation to do what's right and wrong. Because Lewis asserts that um, there's this universal moral conscience um, that explains why God created us. So he says, and I like this line, to say a line is crooked, you have to have the idea of what a straight line is. Or he uses the analogy that even little kids playing a game, they don't like it when other kids cheat. Not because they know the rules, they just have this internal moral code. Little kids, like, they did this experiment of uh, toddlers with puppets where one puppet is cruel to the other one. Kids won't play with that puppet. Um, it's just written to our moral codes. Or the Nuremberg trials where, you know, this genocide and 
medical experimenting and uh, on children, uh, you know, the argument was, well, it was in Germany during World War II, the, all that was legal. So how can you say it's not moral? And the Nuremberg arguments is basically, no, you know natural law. It doesn't have to be written down. You knew that was wrong. That's how they convicted those Nazi criminals. So Lewis's argument goes like that, like this. There is a moral law, and if there's a universal moral law, then there's a universal uh, moral lawgiver, God. Um, now, atheists will say there's no such thing as morality. I don't know if you know this. That that's one of the position of the quote-unquote new atheists that um, uh, there is no such thing as morality. If the atheists are correct, then there's no morality in letting Jews burn in gas chambers uh, than there is anything moral about saving them. Or in this debate between Richard Dawkins, kind of the pope of the atheists, and this um, guy named John Lennox, who I love. John Lennox was this... Um, major astrophysicist, brilliant. He was Irish, so he was also funny. Um, he really was funny. But he was also great at debating these people because he was brilliant, uh, PhD in physics and all that other stuff. But um, in this debate with Richard Dawkins, John Lennox brings up Megan's Law. If you remember, do you guys remember what Megan's Law was? That this... this Mother comes home to her house, and her daughter, Megan, is missing. They can't find Megan. You know, she's just a elementary school kid. So they're searching the neighborhood, can't find it. Then she finds out that the three guys living across the street are all been released from prison for um, uh, child molestation. And two of the guys have alibis, but one doesn't. And he gets interviewed by this um, cop who... Uh, tricks him into confessing. And so the Megan rules that, you know, she was raped and killed. Um, so Megan's law was, you have a right to know uh, where pedophiles are located. Does that... So in this interview, John Lennox um, says, so are you saying if there's no morality that Megan, who was raped and murdered and des her body desecrated, that that wasn't morally wrong, and literally, um, Richard Dawkins, quote-unquote, says, well, it's too bad, but there's no such thing as justice or morality. So if atheism is true, there's no such thing as morality, then letting Jesse, the guy who raped and mutilated her, go free is no better than convicting him. And Dawkins' answer is, well, there's no such thing as justice. Justice doesn't exist. Well, if justice doesn't exist, then injustice doesn't exist as well. And Dawkins said that there's no such thing as an objective morality, that we're just all chemical robots. So rape and murder is not wrong. And Dawkins said, quote, this feeling for justice is just a byproduct of evolution, but it's arbitrary. Richard Dawkins says that all morality is arbitrary. So raping a little girl is wrong because of arbitrary feelings? It's wrong because it's unjust. But Richard Dawkins says well, that we're just biological robots, that we quote-unquote just dance to our DNA, and if somebody does something like that, it's because of broken DNA. 
but how do you know it's broken? Um, does that, like, so the, I know it's a, I'm being harsh, but you and I both know there is such a thing as objective morality. It, you're born with it. Or this other woman, I, she uh, went by the name the Happy Atheist. She grew up in the South, and she grew up in kind of Texas, fundamentalistic religion, but she disliked their duplicity and hypocrisy. So later, as a teenager, she becomes an atheist, and she says that she's rational. Um, and she goes to Columbia University, where she meets another student named Joe, and Joe says he's Catholic, that he believes in God. He, you know, gives us argument how ridiculous atheism is, and she says, well, uh, you're not even practicing. He says, yeah. I, I, I just think, he says, yeah. I'm Catholic. I will always be Catholic, even if I'm not practicing. But I will never not believe in God. And he challenges her on this moral argument. How can you say there is no such thing as morality? And she writes, and this, I just want to write, she says, in our age, one of the greatest prizes is to be called smart. In other ages, it might have been to be called virtuous. And he said, the new atheists have captured this um, marketing that we are smarter. But I was shocked at the uh, intellectual dishonesty of the new atheist. Because she said she's reading this paper from, anyhow, it doesn't matter who he is, famous atheist, who says it's no better, so in this article, this is a true article, you can look it up, he says it's better to kill a baby than a mature pig, because a pig has more cognitive abilities. And she said she was horrified when she realized, oh my God, that is my morality. Because she only judged people on their intellectual worth. And then she realized that a society, you can always come up with any logical reason you feel to kill anybody you deem lesser or weaker. And that's when she said she has this conversion, not to fundamentalistic Christianity, but it was her road back to uh, Christianity when she realized, I do believe in morality, and Joe is right. That the more and more she thought about it, no, that, she, that human beings have an innate worth, and there is this innate moral um, code. But Richard Dawkins thinks that if you're more intelligent, then it gives you more value. Um, so John Lennox said, well, if that's true, then why shouldn't we do medical experiments on the mentally handicapped. Richard Dawkins didn't have an answer. Um, so I do believe in justice, uh, not because of some social agreement that we all made. I believe in justice because it's connected to God. So this sounds kind of strange. The moral argument is atheists will say there is no God, there is no morality. But morality, my morality, I know I did not invent myself. It was not an invention of society. It is written in us, all that evidence. And if there's a moral law, there's a moral law giver. Now the second thing, and this sounds bizarre, going a little deeper, the second evidence of God is evil itself. I know that sounds strange, because if you get into arguments with atheists, they'll say, well, look at all the evil in the world. How can there be a God? And this sounds strange. But the fact that there's evil in the world may prove that there is a God. And in his younger days, St. Augustine once thought that the existence of evil also disputes the existence of God. 
But then he came to realize that to define evil as an absence of the good, it becomes a proof of God. If evil is an absence of the good, it's kind of like a cut finger. Your cut finger is an absence, a privation. But the cut, the cut in your finger, it doesn't disprove that the finger doesn't exist. Quite the opposite. The cut proves the finger does exist. Does that make sense? So evil doesn't disprove God. Evil proves God. Or as he likes to say, um, the shadows prove that there is a, a sunshine. Or, making my modern analogy, rust on your car. Rust in your car is a privation. If the rust is removed, the car runs better. But rust doesn't exist on its own. It's parasitic of something else. Evil is parasitic of something else. It doesn't disprove that there is no God. It just proves that evil is a parasite. So C.S. Lewis, when he was an atheist, tried to argue the same thing, that evil disproves God. But then he realized, and I love this quote, that it is, quote unquote, stealing from God. Because if there is an objective evil, then there has to be an objective good. He says, as I said, can you call something uh, not straight? if you don't know what a straight ruler is? So that's when he realized, and I like this quote, he said, I had to sit on God's lap to slap him in the face. <laughs> Just think that's, so um, an atheist that says that evil disproves God, but according to them, there is no such thing as evil. So Richard Dawkins is saying uh, religion is evil. How can he say that religion is evil? That, uh, if we just dance to our DNA. Aren't those religious people just dancing to their DNA? And if an atheist says that evil doesn't exist, how can you say religion is evil? You can't have it both ways. Either evil exists or it doesn't exist. They're stealing from God's goodness to try and prove atheism. If evil doesn't exist, then stop complaining about religion. If evil does exist, then it proves that God exists. Um, so Nietzsche in the 19th century said um, that atheism, Nietzsche was an atheist, but he said the atheism of the 19th century will lead to genocide in the 20th century. And he was right. Uh, Nietzsche was just the forerunner of the Nazis. Um, so, um, so does that make sense where evil proves one since God? Because people will say, why doesn't God just do away with evil people? If there's a God, why, why does he allow evil people? Well, the answer would be, well, what is God's job? Is God a divine babysitter, or is God the source that brings us to maturity? If a God is just a babysitter, God should be fired. But if God is a source of life that's trying to teach us how to become accountable and mature, and to be accountable, you need free will. Um, then God can allow evil to exist. Some atheists will say, well, why doesn't God solve evil, the problem of evil and pain? But atheism itself doesn't solve the problem of evil. It just removes it by saying there is no such thing as morality and there is no such thing as evil. That doesn't answer the question. That just avoids it. Um, atheism has no better answer for evil. But we do. 
we'd say, yes, we have an answer to evil, and that is maturity and fighting for justice and morality. Um, you know, if atheists say, well, if God existed, then the world wouldn't be as it is. That's a conclusion of how they think the world should be. That's not evidence. Um, and they'll say, surely a good God would create a world where there'd be no evil. Well, God could create a world in which there'd be no evil. The problem is we wouldn't be a part of it. Um, if people couldn't choose between the good and evil, the world as we know it wouldn't exist because God could have made us all like the Stetford Wives. You, you know what the Stepford Wives were, right? Where they had no choice. Um, they're completely obedient, these robots that only obey their husbands. I know a lot of husbands want that. But the problem is that wouldn't be a marriage anymore. <clears throat> that wouldn't even be human anymore. There would be no evil, but there'd also be no real compassion, no real love. Um, we'd have the consciousness of a toaster. Because like, if your wife makes you toast in the morning, you're grateful that she made toast. If my mother made me, like my mother makes, I love um, German pancakes when she visits. But if my mother was a toaster and had only one choice to make the toast, then why would I be grateful to her? But the fact that my mother chooses to do that, she's not a toaster. She made this conscience to um, get up, get the ingredients. Does that make sense? That makes me grateful. So God made us human beings with a choice, not toasters. Can God make us courageous if there's not, no danger? So you know, other atheists admitted that, yeah, I guess evil is a bad argument for the non-existence of God. And here's the odd part. Evil can make you a better person. I don't know why God allows particular evils to occur, but I have seen how tragic events in general can make people better, more committed to justice. Take Ma Nelson Mandela, who was in prison for years, right? Unjustly. But in prison, and that's a great evil, he learned to conquer his anger. And once he, con once he was released, with his anger conquered, he could lead his nation to this rebirth. Week after week, we gathered together for the Eucharistic sacrifice. So over a lifetime, we become the body of Christ, transformed into this force of love and justice. So the Eucharist makes us stronger against evil. Um, so there's this joke that if I had God's omnipotent power for 24 hours, I would change the world. But if God also gave me his omnipotent wisdom, I wouldn't change anything. Answering the problem of evil is Christians have an answer. Is that our answer to evil is that we'll be more just and fight for goodness. But there is an answer. The bigger problem for atheists is that they have no answer. Um, like Job, we may not be completely able to answer the problem, but we can answer the problem with a perspective and an action. That's the difference between a mystery and a contradiction. For us, the answer to evil is a mystery. That um, The mystery in the sense that um, we'll throw ourselves to fight evil. For atheists, uh, evil is a contradiction. It's a contradiction because if they hold that the world 
um, if there is no morality, then how are they calling anything evil? The atheist problem is that with evil, they hold that the world is supposed to be this resort. And if there's evil in the world, uh, and since it's not a resort, there must be no God. But for Christians, the world is not a resort for us. It's a gym. Um, we're the ones who are charged with changing evil into good through God's help. The atheists, their contradiction, because they call things evil, and then they say, but there is no such thing as evil, and they have no responsibility to change the world. Um, so the other argument, this is slightly, Richard Dawkins will often say, oh, God is one of the most evil characters uh, that he's ever read about. Have you guys ever heard that one? God is so evil, and they use the, like, this is a typical example. They'll say, God commanded the Canaanites to be wiped out. You say this is a good God, then why does God in the Bible um, demand that the Canaanites be wiped out? Now, just got to tell you, every time Richard Dawkins quotes the Bible, he doesn't quote the Bible. He misquotes the Bible. So <laughs> if he says the Bible says X, just no. That's, he's misquoting. So yes, God does say to wipe out the Canaanites, except what God says, yeah, for, first you have to understand, the Canaanites were practicing child sacrifices, so to have a prosperous farm or something, they would sacrifice children, they would sacrifice your children. So when God says, um, uh, wipe out the Canaanites, if you look at the subject and the object of the sentence, he doesn't say kill the people, it's killed the practices of the Canaanite, of child sacrifices. Does that make sense? Because they did do that. They wiped out all the child sacrifices. They didn't wipe out the Canaanites because you notice, hundreds of years later, still at the time of Jesus, there's Canaanites. So it's the practices that they're talking about. So he's taking it out of context. Does that make sense? God never demanded genocide. He demanded the end of child sacrifices. So Every time they say, oh, look at God in the Old Testament, he did X, just know they're misquoting it. And Rich, uh, sorry, uh, C.S. Lewis is right. They're stealing God's goodness. Atheist morals are a lot like cattle rusting. They can't account where they got the cattle. They claim this moral superiority, but can't account where their morals come from. Um, atheists like Richard Dawkins, only believes in material evidence. But morality is non-material. That's why Bertrand Russell, who's the grandfather of atheism, gave a really intellectually honest description of atheism, where he said, quote, we must build our lives on unyielding despair. And admitted that atheism has no objective morality, even though he himself admitted that he was an outspoken critic of uh, 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 World War II, but he admits an atheist should never use the word should because all things are, commit, are permitted, and yet he f said he found his own beliefs um, lacking credibility because um, he's inconsistent. An atheist should never say people should do X since there is no such thing as morality, but then Russell admitted that faced with the genocide and horrific crimes of World War II, he had to speak out against it, even though he doesn't believe in morality. Do you get the inconsistency? Um, or Anne Rand said, since there is no God, 
Live totally for yourself. It's logical to be selfish. No one will hold you accountable. It makes no difference if one is a Stalin or a saint. Sacrificing for others is stupid. And when I say that they steal from the goodness of God, you take those things that are most meaningful to human beings, and atheism deletes it. Um, so the atheists complain that the re religion is evil because the world is not a resort and people cheat, but they don't account to where their morals come from. They demand that they live in a moral world, but they don't believe in morality. They're like people who want to be, no offense, Americans, but don't want to pay taxes. <laughs> they just want everybody else to pay the tax. Does, does that make any sense? So, I don't know, I like this argument of the, you know there is such a thing as morality. Um, but that question gets into, then why does God allow pain and suffering? But the Christian answer would be, well, like look in the Bible. Um, Abandoning belief in God doesn't help you in your suffering. In fact, it makes it worse. Um, actually, belief in God helps you in your suffering. Um, look at Martin Luther King or the hundreds of years are martyrs. Um, suffering made Job holier. That's how Satan was defeated because suffering was supposed to make Job turn away from God. It only made Job holier. The suffering of three young boys in the Bible, uh, they end up seeing the presence of God or just psychological studies, and this sounds strange. Suffering is good for you. I know that sounds strange. They found that. And they um, did this thing, I'm gonna try and be brief on it biologically, where they took one-celled, um, these one-celled creatures, gave them the perfect environment to live in, and they didn't thrive. Then they had a little bit of stress, besides the food and environment, and they survived. They did the same thing with rats. I think I mentioned this to you. Is that just feeding rats everything they want, they languish. Give them stress and some problem, and they thrive. I told you that experiment where, um, uh, well, it's not experiment, study, where uh, grandparents who suffered had stronger grandchildren. So um, atheism, atheism says suffering makes you worse. But actually, science seems to prove that suffering makes you better. So there's this thing called stress, and that now they call it eustress in the sense of E-U, like Eucharist. E-U is the Greek for good. But there is some good that comes out of suffering. And this, they did this study on hope that I thought was really interesting from Rutledge University. Um, and this doctor wanted to know why some people living under high stress conditions made them more compassionate. That's really odd. And uh, technically what she found out is that with their religious beliefs, religious belief plus suffering made them even more compassionate. No offense, people that say that they're spiritual but not religious, they do a little bit better, but the atheists, they don't have any hope. So all there is in suffering is no good whatsoever. Um, so hopeful people, um, sorry, suffering makes us um, more gritty, more resilient, and more hopeful. And more hopeful people, this is also part of the study, 
people that test high on hope are actually better at accurately assessing a situation versus cynical people. You kind of think the cynical person will find what's wrong. Actually, no, the hopeful person will be better at assessing a uh, situation. Um, So anyhow, um, going off on that, um, you know, uh, even though we may not fully know the reasons why they're suffering, we do know that God loves us despite suffering, and despite suffering, we'll get better. So um, this sounds kind of strange. The Catholic belief is not, accept trials, pick up your cross and follow me. You get these repeated uh, uh, sayings, and so we would say, well, no, you have to embrace suffering to make you better. The same way if you're going to train for a marathon, you openly admit suffering, right? The day that you're practicing your marathon, you are suffering. So you embrace suffering so the worst day of your life can also become the best day of your life. So we have an answer to that, that some gifts can only come through suffering. So C.S. Lewis, um, this was hard for him too, but when he makes his conversion, he realizes, and I like this, I'm going to quote him, God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks to us in our conscience, but God shouts to us in our pain. It is our megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Um, So we'd say God is not obligated to make sure that we're comfortable. God is obligated to make sure we're spiritually mature. I hate to say this, atheists are like people who want God to be the parent of a millennial who just gives their children everything and allows them to think that they've achieved it. So God doesn't want to spoil us. God wants to raise us. Um, So that's why the Bible says, don't despise trials. I told the story of my dad with ALS. My dad said the best thing God ever did to him was give him ALS. He died a happy man because of ALS. So sometimes suffering makes us better. Sometimes the You only notice the stars when you've been laid out on your back. So, yeah, I'd say evil, suffering, um, morality, they're all evidences of God, not God's absence. Now, just to make it more positive, I also think love is a great evidence of God. Now, you would be atheists, like uh, Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens would say love is not real. Morality is not real. Love is not real. Love is only this chemical reaction that helps you procreate procreate your genes to the next generation. That when you feel love or see beauty, atheists say that's just a chemical reaction. But technically, there is no such thing as love or beauty. Since beauty is really beauty, they only believe in those things that are composed of, of molecules. So according to atheists, uh, beauty, love, is not material. Uh, And this sounds kind of strange, but my position is that I think it takes a greater leap of faith to to believe that there is no such thing as love, beauty, or God than it takes the leap of faith to believe in beauty, love, and God. So my point being is that I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. You have to have a lot of faith in atheism to believe that there is no such thing as love. Because love is one of those immaterial things. Or Alan Dershowitz, who's an atheist, also said, there is no 
scientific proof of human rights. There's no proof of human rights. Well, I think it takes a bigger leap of faith not to believe in human rights. Does that make sense? Um, so Josevsky in his uh, novel, The Brothers of Karamazza, had this episode where this woman begins to wonder if there's a God, if there's an afterlife. And she tells her doubts to this old priest who says, I, you know, there's no way to prove these things, but you can become sure of them. How, she cries. Love your neighbor from your heart. The more you love, the more you'll be, um, become God's existence in life after death. The more you'll love, the stronger your faith will grow and uh, your doubts will become weaker. This is sure. So the, I hate to say this, I love what the old priest says. You want proof of God? Learn to love more. Um, atheist advice is they don't believe in love and so they don't believe in God. But I do believe in, in love. Does that make sense? I think love is one of the evidences of of. God. I don't think it's just a chemical reaction. Okay, fifth, sorry, is this getting too boring? Okay. Fifth, and this is strange, but neurological evidence. And by neurological evidence, I mean this. Um, I was shocked at this. It was years ago. I was the pastor of St. Mark's, and this book came out, and the book is called Why God Won't Go Away. And the book is not a religious book. It's actually a science book. And they did this as a thesis, a dissertation thesis, and then uh, built it up into this huge study. But uh, so it's, it's pure biology. And what they did is put people into these brain mapping machines, and they wanted to know, like um, an interesting experiment, is there a part of the brain that you use just for prayer? And so they put 50 Franciscan nuns in this like MRI and they were just to pray the rosary and then they took 50 Buddhist monks to chant. And not completely, but the same parts of their brains lit up. Uh, just slight variations. But that's a really strange part. When people prayed, some the exact parts of their brains lit up. So then they have to do more experiments, and they found out, wow, why God won't go away is because, well, prayer, religion, this need to pray, it's not programming. It's part of your hardware. Because atheists will say, well, you've just been programmed to believe in God. But what they discovered is that, wow, there's parts of your brain that light up when you pray. So why they titled it, Why Won't God Won't Go Away, is because it's part of your hardware. Does that make sense? Um, so they keep repeating these studies. Uh, the guy who's an expert on it, he's not even a religious character, he's just a neurologist. Um, you can buy his whole book, Andrew, I just forgot his name. Well, his first name is Andrew. Dang it, I just had that too. Andrew. Anyhow, you can check it out. All these neurological, you're hardwired. So they keep doing these experiments. And any atheist that says, well, religion is just software programming. No, it's hardware. And then you study 
they did the, uh, the study on the effects of meditation. That's a really interesting point, that with meditation you have better health, more cerebral activity, medicine is more effective, um, people who meditate regularly test out to be happier, they can concentrate longer, they have less heart problems. If prayer is so biologically healthy for you, doesn't that speak of a creator? Why does meditation have such an effect on our telomeres? The telomeres are the ends of your uh, like cell that divide. The, like if you wanted to find out where your true age is, you would measure your telomeres. Um, prayer turns on healthy genes, has all these great health effects. Um, so evolutionary biologists would just say, well, religion... They hypothesized just improved the solidarity of the community, improved one's health. And longitudinal studies show that prayers improves health, de uh, helps with diseases, optimisms, um, helps unify a community. Study the blue zones. Blue zones is where people live longer. One of the ingredients is a spirituality that you practice a religion. So here's my point. If practicing a religion religion, if practicing prayer is associated with a longer life, then wouldn't atheism be illogical? If meditation on thankfulness and joy, it increases it, like what they found out is prayer is just not programming. Prayer literally rewires your neural pathways to be more joyful, more grateful. But if Richard Dawkins says we're just, quote unquote, a bag of chemical reactions, then with and through prayer, we can evolve. We can rewire our brain. But here's my point. There's this ton of evidence neurologically how great meditation and prayer is for you. Now, here's my question. If there was as much evidence that meditation was terrible for you, really bad if you meditated, if that was true, if they found evidence of that, you know atheists would use that as proof of the divine. Does that make sense? If they found out, oh my gosh, those people that practice religion in the, in the world, uh, those are red zones. They'll die quicker. But those who practice religion are in blue zones. So it seems to me that uh, the practice of religion and meditation has all these great health benefits. Isn't that a hint, a little evidence of God? Because you know if it was bad for you, the atheist, that would be on the front page news. Does that make any sense? Um, okay, just uh, one, one more. Um, have you guys heard of positive psychology? So that's a no, because I got one nod. Um, <laughs> it's the branch of psychology I personally love to study. So psychology starts, but psychology is weird. Um, when I was going to school, you know, it was all Freudian and abnormal psychology. Freud was wrong on everything. But then, uh, you had a couple of these psychologists said, well, rather than study what's wrong with human beings, what if we studied what makes some people happy? Does that make sense? How can you not like that? Um, so positive psychology is, what makes some people great? Um, and once again, they did these brain scans, and they find out that people that have... Um, a practice spiritual life, their brains are thicker and healthier and mo more robust than the quote-unquote low spiritual brain that tends to wither. So this Dr. Lisa Miller, 
Miller. She said, the evidence is more vivid than ever we expected. Now, so if you're scientific and like to follow the evidence, then that means religion is pretty good for you. Um, there's three factors within religion um, that it makes you healthier, more connected to other people. Now, they have found that some, this sounds kind of, some religious denominations actually make you more fearful and angry. So it's not just complete religion. Does that make sense? So that was a really interesting study long-term that um, they can even tell you what denominations are more fearful and angry. But in general, religion has all these benefits. And the other thing they notice is teenagers. Teenagers are very cynical. But teenagers are looking for meaning. And there's this existential depression when you're a teenager that life has no purpose, you're unsure, and yet, um, this Lisa Miller was saying, but teenagers that are raised with religion are also raised that your life has a purpose. You may not know what it is, but your life has a purpose. For us, that's a sacrament of confirmation. So in this pursuit of happiness study, 86% of people who practice religion weekly, not just say that you're religious, but practice it weekly, test out to be happier. Um, now, as I said, it's not who say that they're religious that practice it. Lower rates of depression, better marriages. Martin Seligman, who is one of the founders of Positive Psychologist, proved that a loving relationship makes you happier. And oddly enough, and they're not even religious people, religion increases the happiness of marriage. So now there's this other study called the Grant Study. The Grant Study is a 75-year-long study of Harvard graduates. It's the longest and deepest psychological study that we have. And they're trying to find out the ingredients of happiness. And um, it's really kind of funny. So they would interview them every two years and um, test them out. The first thing they found out that happiness is love. And oddly enough, religion teaches love and hospitality and community and compassion, and so you have a higher probability of being happy. Um, the second thing they found out is that meaning, have, believing that your life has meaning, is part of the equation of happiness. Well, we have the sacrament of confirmation, where we anoint these kids that your life has a meaning. But atheists, Richard Dawkins would say, Atheists believe life has no meaning, which means if you really believe life has no meaning, you'll be part of the study that won't end up happy. You'll end up not happy. Um, the third thing I thought was interesting, where they said uh, not, no coveting. That to have a happy life, you can't be always wishing, God, I wish I could be like Gina. Um, you know... You can't covet others. Positive psychology teaches that the life of comparison just leads to unhappiness. Fourth, you want to get to happy? Learn how to forgive. So positive psychologist Christopher Peterson said that without forgiveness skills, you'll just end up bitter and angry. But religion teaches forgiveness. Fifth thing they found out in this long-term study is gratitude. That you have to... Do these gratitude exercises. Weekly, we do it called the Eucharist. <laughs> we practice it. So anyhow, positive psychology comparison. Um, Chikai, if you 
Czechai, um, uh, he, Czechai was this uh, Czechoslovakian who was one of the founders of positive psychology. And Salon Wilson did this research. Um, and they massively compared the psychology of religious versus non-religious. Um, and they wanted to ask this question. And they're not religious, they're just psychologists. But they wanted to answer this question because Richard Dawkins, one of his great things was religion causes stress on people. What they found out is people that practice religion actually are, have more pro-social actions, more compassionate, and less prejudice. I'll by more pro-social uh, actions, it's really amazing. Religious people, you know who does most volunteering in the United States? Guess who donates the most for, doesn't matter, Ukrainian cause or whatever the cause is. Guess who donates the most? Guess who donates the most blood? Uh, most of donation that, and volunteerism and all that in the United States is done by religious people. That's what I mean by pro. Who donates the most? Who volunteers as their coach and the team? It's the vast majority, and it's kind of stunning, stunning amount, not a little, is religious people. Religious people are more compassionate, less prejudiced, happier. What they also found comparing non-religious people is less compassionate, less likely to help, um, more prejudice. So uh, he writes this as a conclusion. Dark, Dawkins' armchair speculation on the guilt-inducing stress of religion doesn't even make it to first base. He agrees that religion is fair game for for criticism, but then says, quote, Dawkins doesn't work by evidence, so gets none of the facts right. He's deeply misinformed. And these were two non-religious scientists. Other scientists have shown that uh, people who practice religion live longer, happier, healthier. Um, so here's my thing, going back to this. If atheists found out the opposite of this, that practicing religion makes you less generous, less compassionate, more prejudiced, you know that would be on the front page of a paper. If they knew that religion made you um, less happy, but they never cite, atheist Richard Dawkins never cites the ton of evidence that religion physically and emotionally makes you a better person makes people volunteer more. Now, I'm just saying that with all this, there's these benefits that atheists don't talk about. Then they did these sociological benefits, just the pro-social behavior, increased cognitive power, lower blood pressure, lower anxiety. Um, and then they did the effects of religion on children. Children who are raised with religion has less risky behavior, less behavioral problems, higher self-esteem. Um, so I just think that's kind of interesting. So of the two groups, which island would you want to belong on? If there's two islands and one was filled with atheists and one was filled with religious people, one island believes in God and has a lot of pro-social behavior taking care of each other, the other island of atheists that tend to have the lowest rate of donating, lowest rate of volunteerism, lowest rate of taking care of each other, which island would you want to belong to? Um, and it, how I'm working that as proofs of God is one. If the atheist found the opposite, you know that that would be front page. The same way they can say there is no God because there's evil in the world. 
And so evil proves the existence of God. And the very fact that people practice, who, people who believe in God actually make the world a better place is a proof of God. Does that make any sense? Why would it have all these psychological and biological benefits if it's not true? Not saying it's a slam dunk, but to me it is. The last one, and I think I can get this done in, so we have 10 more minutes, um, is history. So I went with evil, psychology, biology, gonna end with history. And you hear atheists say, and this drives me up a wall, religion has caused more war than anything else in history. That is totally bogus. They've done two separate historical studies on the causes of war, and actually it's not true. 97% um, of all wars would have happened if uh, uh, religion caused 3% of all wars. And no offense, it was mostly the Islamic people. Um, I don't mean to be rude, but it's just stats. So if you look at it, no, religion hasn't caused wars. And historically, if you just want to count death, what's been the greatest source of death in the 20th century? Atheism. So look at the Soviet Union. Under Khrushchev, 60 million. Mao, 80 million. The French Revolution, they were going to, remember, the French Revolution is we're going to work by logic. We're going to work by rationale and justice and fraternity. And the streets ran with blood. They always found somebody to kill. Or look at uh, North Korea. Uh, not exactly the utopia that Richard Dawkins says if we would happen if we got rid of religion, or the Khmer Rouge. So if you look at, um, and they're killing their own people. So if you look at history and the experiment in atheism, that's had the highest bloodshed ever. So John Lennox, this physicist, um, has friends in Poland who are amazed that anybody could advocate atheism. And said, I like this quote, if Richard Dawkins wants to see atrocities, let him come to Poland and see the enlightenment that atheists inflicted on us. Um, it's not religion that has caused violence. It's actually atheism that has. Um, and Richard Dawkins' way of out, out of this, saying, well, anybody who's a true atheist would never advocate violence, despite the fact that the worst mass murders in history were atheists. Mao, Stalin, I mean, that's 150 million right there. 200 but um, in their inheritance, 200 million. And China is still torturing people today, and that's an atheist regime. So the absence, oh, also Richard Dawkins says, well, atheists are safer because they have no belief. Well, absence of belief doesn't cause peace. An absence of belief leads to out-of-control corruption. Um, so I'd say, well, history has proved that atheists Atheism is the most dangerous thing in history. Now, atheists will often say, well, what about the Crusades? Uh, what about the Spanish Inquisition? You know, the Inquisition lasts for almost 300 years. Do you know how many people died in the Spanish Inquisition? Anybody want to take a wild guess? 300 years of the Spanish Inquisition? How many people died? 2,000. Uh, compared to the 150 that Mao and, and Stalin did, not that that's good, but does that make sense? Like you over, or the atheists do this too, they'll say the witch burnings that happened in Europe, 
This is what religion did. Twelve people died in the Salem witch trials. There's actually, and not that I'm for burning witches, but um, it's incredibly rare that if you, like there's this whole um, book that this guy put out, and he's not, he said he's not even a believer. It just drove him off the wall how atheists would quote history wrong, and they'd quote the Spanish Inquisition. And in this book, it's kind of interesting, he just took all their arguments. This is, that's a lie, that's a lie, that's a lie, like the Spanish Inquisition. If you are captured by the civil authorities or the Spanish Inquisition, you want to go with the Spanish Inquisition because they demanded proof and more often than not set people free. You had ever, and if you made a false accusation, they'd come after you. Um, so anyhow, um, or the other thing about history is, um, and I like this one, Mark Twain. Mark Twain notes the most powerful nations at their time, the Hittites, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, were all eventually wiped out. And the lowest in society um, were the longest enduring people. So Mark Twain noted that um, those who had the promise of God, the Jews, survived history. All these great empires didn't. So since Neolithic times, God made a promise to Abraham that seems to be kept true. Or Pascal, the famous mathematician, uh, King Louis asked him for proof of God, and his answer was, the Jews. <laughs> uh, because he said, think about this, he had all these great empires that were going to supposedly kill them, and yet they survived. The lowest and weakest survived. Um, anyhow, um, look at the Catholic Church. We started off with just a handful persecuted for 300 years, and the persecutions made millions grow. That if you look at history, um, atheism has produced the most amount of bloodshed, not religion. And I mentioned um, uh, that article, and it's actually um, this article by Matthew Paris. I mentioned, um, and Matthew Paris uh, was in Africa, and he's an atheist, and the article is, Atheist believes Africa needs God. And he said, having lived in Africa and observed what religion has done, he said, religion has done more than the G uh, NGOs, government project, international help. That at a basic level, what helped most people get out of poverty is not government programs. It re it's religious people who are willing to help their neighbor. Government programs, I don't I worked in third world countries, are enormously corrupt. NGOs, no offense, they just enshrine more problems. Um, and he's a self-confessed atheist that said, you know, I, I've lived in these countries. What does the most amount of good is actually religion. So in this book, the book is uh, What Atheists Get Wrong About Religion. He tears apart all the, these arguments that atheists will say, religion has done this and really, that, those are complete lies. The greatest source of um, uh, bloodshed is atheism. And so I'd say, well, history proves God. Same way Pascal did. You know, <laughs> give me one proof of God. Why is it that the most persecuted survive multiple, uh, you know, empires, and all they had was a promise? Does that make sense? 
Um, who's caused the most amount of bloodshed? Uh, and here's another one. Who's done the most amount of good in the world? Like I, you know, Catholics, my, we're the ones who started universities, hospitals. We've done the most for healthcare and education. I think that proves the existence of God. Okay, so I have more later, but we've gone an hour, so I feel like you guys are getting bored. Um, but any questions, positions, challenges? Yes. A God gene? I don't. I remember I read something about that, but that, that's not that's not what the, the God gene is. Um, I did read something about that, but that's not. You you miss you. I. It's not a religious, but I do remember I read something. But it's not a religious gene. But it's it's. Um, but the way it sounds like it's a. I know it. I know what you're referring to, but I can't can't talk about because I don't remember. Andrew Newberg, good job. He has a whole series. Um, he teaches like a, uh, I took it and I forgot most of it. He, he has like this uh, 12 classes on the neurological, it's not even religious, but it's really interesting. Like, wow, religion is really good for your brain. Yeah. Yeah, uh, do I have any beliefs about Marxism? I have a lot of beliefs. Um, I think, I, I mean, I don't want to talk about that, but I'll, I'll say this. Um, the Spanish have a, a saying that when you're young, you're a liberal, and when you're older, you're a conservative. And when you're young, like uh, this, this uh, uh, so when you're young, uh, like, oh, so... Uh, Put it this way, um, one of my friends, they had this daughter who was very entrepreneurial. Like she, she would come up with these systems in the summer to earn all this money on her own. She'd have these, hold these uh, summer camps. She was making a lot of really good money. So, f and she's gonna, she's actually in medical school, but um, her parents demanded that she get a job as a waitress. She says, but I can make, you know, four times the money doing this. And she says, no, no. You have to learn how to work with other people. So she gets a job as a waitress, and she can't stand it because she's never had that much taken out of her paycheck. <laughs> so, not only that, but then you know who didn't show up to work? Sandy didn't show up to work, and she said she was sick, but I know she wasn't sick. <laughs> and you're wondering, what is this? I... You know when I realized I didn't want to become, uh, when I was against socialism, was in high school when the teacher would have us do a class project because I did all the work. <laughs> and once you realize how much, it's easy to be a Marxist until you get a job. Um, it's easy to say, well, I don't believe in God, and this is what I think is part of it. I don't believe in God because I don't believe in morality. I, I mean, I'll, 
that's just because you don't want to believe in God, because you don't want any moral codes. So uh, that's what I think that is, in a nutshell. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, Richard Dawkins doesn't want to, even like this, I was going to get into that next time, but um, Francis Collin, when he was an atheist, now he's a believer, Nobel, says, I didn't want there to be a God. I, I wanted to do what I wanted to do. All things are permitted. Or who was it, who wrote the gulag, the archipelago gulag? Solzhenitsyn. You know, when asked what went wrong, you know, why was there so much atrocity in the Soviet Union? They stopped believing in God. All things are permitted then. All right, well, next time we're going to cover what I call the personal argument. Um, that's uh, like personal arguments. So anyhow, God bless. See you guys later. Hello, this is Father Len McMillan. I'd like to take a moment to thank you for listening to our podcast. If they've been a blessing to you, I'd also like to invite you to prayerfully discern supporting the podcast financially your generosity would help support the ongoing production and distribution of the podcast. If you'd like to make a donation, you can simply click the link in the podcast description. Be sure to tell us your donation is for the podcast in the comment section of the submission form. Again, thank you for your support as we seek to share the good news of the gospel. May God bless you for your generosity.